Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, PK, all the way from Tucson, Arizona. PK, how are you tonight? Absolutely fabulous. The last day of November, because it can't help but feeling good because it's the end of the money path. <laughs> it's this way. It has the money trials and tribulations. Months. Oh, God, yes. For sure. <laughs> the more you had coming in, the more went out. And it was, it's been like Ricochet Rabbit this month. No one feels comfortable with what's going on. And, of course, we see the monetary aspect going up, up, in a way. It should be a balloon we're sending up instead. But, unfortunately, this is the last day that we have to deal with this. But tomorrow we start a brand new segment called Wrapping Up and Ending the Old to Make Way for the New. So throughout the month of December, get rid of people, places, and things that no longer fit because it will give you an opportunity to really build up something very positive for our new year. Oh, thank goodness. We need it. Don't we need it? My goodness. We've been through the ringer this year, last year, and the year before. Gosh. Well, you can take your purse and shove it, turn it upside down and shake it. There's not going to be anything coming out of it because this this month has taken everything away from everybody. And I don't <laughs> care how many Black Fridays they have or whatever they're calling them these days. There's not going to be enough for everybody to go around. So don't get mad. Allow yourself to be patient. Do things slowly and put it together. And next week when we talk, I'll tell you a few ideas of how to go there. All right. We're ready for the new year, so we're going to look forward to hearing about that from you. Yeah. So I wanted to tell everybody, too. (laughs) Yes, we need it. We need it. So next week, I wanted to tell everybody, we've got Corey Good coming back on the show. Can't wait to have him back. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a really fabulous guest. He's a stellar guy for real. And he's going to be coming back and sharing more. Uh, about the secret space program and how ufology and the paranormal has turned into a billion-dollar business. So there's a lot that we're going to be talking about and how that's affecting the study of the paranormal, the reporting on the paranormal. It It's a very interesting thing that's happening. I mean, you know, you and I, PK, we were involved in the paranormal. Well, we've been involved all our lives, and we're old. So it's a long time. But for so many years, people were afraid to talk about it. They'd be afraid mm-hmm. that they were going to be made fun of. That has changed. 
predominantly it's changed. But now this whole thing is a business. And so Corey's going to be talking about that and other secrets of what's been going on with UFOs, et cetera, colonies and Mars, um, many, many things that mm-hmm. have yet to come out. And Corey's an expert, and he's a great guest. So don't miss this show. It's really going to be excellent. And Corey's been going through his own uh, trials and tribulations with people attempting to cancel him in certain ways. So he'll be sharing with us about that. I mean, social media can be used in some pretty horrific ways. So uh, luckily, we haven't been the target of that, so that's good. But the people that have been have some things to to tell and say. So, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from him. And also, I wanted to give everybody a heads up about property taxes because your property tax estimation is going to be coming out most likely this this December. And it's up to Mm -hmm. you to get your property record card and take a look at it and make sure that everything on that record card is accurate. Because, as you've heard me say before, if there's something on that record card that is not accurate and you don't catch it now, next year it will be too late. So make sure that you go and get a copy. And if you need some help in the whole landscape of property taxes, there's a great book written by attorney Patricia Quintilian, and it's called Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes?, how to find out and how to fix it. And it's available on Amazon, and I highly recommend it because there are so many ways that you can be screwed on your property taxes and not even know it until it's way too late and you can't get your money back. I mentioned before a friend of mine who's being taxed on this enormous barn that she supposedly had on her property here in the town I live on, live in. And guess what? She didn't have a barn. The barn was never there. But she was being taxed on it for years until she got her property record card. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and she started looking at it, and she's like, wait a second, I don't have a barn. And (laughs) it was too late to go back and get all of the money that she had paid that she didn't know. Mm -hmm. So uh, the laws are not really on your side, everybody. And so there's very strict deadlines for property owners, not so much for Assessors, so you need to really uh, pay attention to what the deadlines are for property owners. Get the book so that you have a handbook and you know what the steps are to take to protect your home. Because with everything going up so high, inflation is creating a lot of problems for people. You really want to make sure that you don't lose your home. And if your property taxes continue to spiral up and you're not keeping an eye on everything with uh with that you know it could be it could be very bad for you oh, so don't uh, yeah don't lose your home over this make sure that you're informed and get that book and read it it's a little bit out of date <clears throat> it doesn't matter it'll give you some websites to go to where you can get current information but overall the book is going to give you everything you need to do a step-by-step to make sure that uh, you you are being taxed appropriately and there's nothing on your card that doesn't belong there. So, anyways, are you getting screwed on your property taxes, how to find out, and how to fix it? Also, <clears throat> excuse me, on our website, supernaturalgirls.com, we have 
a lot of liquid vitamin products that I highly recommend because I am so tired of taking pills. Capsules, tablets, whatever. It's like done with that. And these liquid vitamins are very high quality. Yeah, they're liposomal, so they're absorbed quickly and easily. And you get a discount if you buy them from our website. So it's right on the front page, the homepage of supernaturalgirls.com. There's also some incredible inventions. One, well, actually, they're both from Germany, come to think of it. One is called Mm -hmm. Energy, and the other one is the Weber Spectra Plus watch. And it's not a watch, really. It's a laser that you put on your wrist, and it does some amazing things. It's invented by Dr. Weber, and we had him on the show. You can look back into the archives on Blog Talk Radio, and you will find the show with Dr. Weber if you would like to hear what these lasers do. They are amazing. And he has a new, a brand new watch that he just invented, and it, it is seven times more powerful than the other one. So take a look there if you're into health. Take a look at our health segments. We've done supernatural health segments all year long. Take a look at those and stay healthy. So... We've got a great guest tonight. He came highly recommended by Jerry Wills, our dear friend, uh, also in Arizona. And he is a ghost hunter, Eric Extreme. Now, we haven't had a ghost hunter on in a while, not since the ghost hunter guys from TV, right? That's right. We've kind of we've been doing everything but. So, it's time. And Eric is We're with us and he yeah. I know. It's, it's a fun topic, and it's getting more serious and more scientific. And so that's why we have Eric with us tonight. Now, Eric Extreme is the founder and director of Extreme Paranormal Investigators Consortium, which is the predecessor group to M- what is it? MWV Spirit. He is up in Conway, Conway, Vermont, no, excuse me, Conway, New Hampshire, and Eric has more than 14 years of experience and has led public investigations with the team from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International television shows. So he's got a lot of experience with this, and he really likes the scientific approach, and he's with us tonight. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Actually, make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) <laughs> we know you well even why you're here. yeah we you're here you so you must know what you're talking about or we wouldn't have you on the show so you've been doing yeah. this a long time 13 years but what made you get interested in ghost hunting well i've been doing empirical investigations for about 13 14 years now but my research actually goes back probably several decades it starts when i was a youth um, out of the blue, you could say, when I was very young, I'd be going to bed at night and I'd start um, perceiving what I believed to be like shadow figure um, in my closet. And my bed was across from my closet. Eventually, I would uh, learn years later that it was a form of matrixing. Um, basically, there was electric energy coming off of a uh, like a fuse box nearby, and I later got diagnosed with uh, tactile hyperesthesia, which basically means your nervous system kind of uh, overreacts to certain stimuli. And uh, um, oh. so I was doing uh, pareidolia, basically matrixing it. Um, there's a part of your brain called the fusiform that recognizes things and makes sense out of confusion. And um, it's mm-hmm. like 
uh, matrixing for some of those who may not be familiar, you know, there's those of us old enough who used to watch television with the bunny ears, you know, for an antenna. And if you looked at the static long enough, you'd start seeing figures in there. Um, you might see faces, words, that sort of thing. Or it's like when you look at clouds and you start to see bunny rabbits. Um, that's what pareidolia or matrixing is. It's the fusiform part of your brain trying to make sense out of, you know, basically chaos. But anyway, so when I was younger, I started uh, matrixing what I believed at the time. As a young age, I was telling my mom I was seeing aliens. Um, she actually took me to some doctors and they said, we don't know what's going on, but there's nothing wrong with him. Um, and, you know, like I said, it was much later in life I realized what was going on, but it kind of got me interested in it. I was going to a public school system that had a pretty elaborate library. And I would um, start taking out books related to paranormal. Um, back then, it was mostly just recollections of various um, experiences others had with paranormal. Um, you know, there was really no how-to books in my school library. As I got older, I had access to the, you know, the city library, you know, when I was able to go out and about on my own. And there was a few more how-to books going on, but there was nothing too particular per se. Um, but I always, you know, kind of uh, kept an eye on uh, the Internet. That was a big help. You know, there's some uh, groups online. But, you know, backtracking out about 14 years ago, um, one of my buddies had gotten involved with a local group, and um, he knew about some of my history. And he's like, hey, you know, maybe you might be interested in uh, getting involved. And I'm like, yeah, why not, right? So I started hanging out with them, and then, uh, you know, they seemed to be really nice people. We went on an investigation, and they basically mimicked what you would see on the Ghost Hunters TV show. And what people need to understand is, and like I said, I've, uh, like uh, you said, I should say, um, I uh, did some time working with them, and I'll get to that in a moment. But these TV shows are geared toward uh, entertainment, you know, getting the most viewers, making the most profit. And it's not exactly the best representation of what a scientific paranormal investigation would consist of. And I realized that quite quickly when I was uh, working with this group earlier on in my career, and I had a lot of fun hanging out with them, but it just, I wanted more, you know, because I've always been a science guy. I've been, you know, interested in astronomy through my God several decades now. So I started reaching out online, uh, looking for other investigators who take more of a scientific spin on it. And I came across a group, um, it was called Paranexus. It's kind of defunct for all intents and purposes now. But back then, it's kind of where um, some of the more, you know, science-based investigators would hang out. And I got mm -hmm. to working with them, and um, basically some of them became my mentors. Um, there was a Doug Kelly. Um, there was a David Roundtree. Um, there was a couple others in there that I really leaned on. So I started focusing a lot on real-world science that would often get misinterpreted as paranormal. Now, don't get me wrong. I've had a few, you know, with a shadow of a doubt. I could not explain what science type of paranormal experience but I've also found uh, plenty of cases where, you know, like say on television where they assume it's paranormal that would have a real scientific explanation. But around that time, um, I, my buddy and I, after we had started EPIC, Extreme Paranormal Investigators Consortium, we had paid our way to go to one of the weekend events put on by Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. Now, this was an event that was officially sponsored by the TV groups it was kind of like a side hustle for some of their cast members to make some money when they weren't 
um, filming. So they were allowed to use the name, but it wasn't an official event. It was put on uh, mm -hmm. primarily by one of the members of the team there. So I remember, you know, my buddy and I were doing some experiments with sound in a corner at this event. And Barry Fitzgerald, the leader of GHI, Go Centers International, came over and was interested in what we're doing because he was huge into um, doing experiments of his own, particularly with sound. And um, he says, you know what, you guys seem to, you know, have a higher level of skill set and, you know, we're kind of short-staffed here and more people came to the event than ex expected. Would you be interested in leading some events? And, of course, we're like, okay. So we ended yeah. up... Uh, doing that and got in, we got invited back to multiple events. Um, eventually, after several events, I did part ways just because I wanted to do the science way of things, and I won't name drop here. It would be inappropriate, but the person running the events was leaning towards trying to push us to over-exaggerate and sensationalize things that weren't paranormal to try and perceive it to be paranormal, you know, to t mm -hmm. entertain the guests better. So several of us, actually, who uh, helped out at the events left because we weren't willing to do that. So that's when I really started getting involved with my own thing. And, um, yeah, I had built a team of around seven people down in Massachusetts. We were based out of the Worcester area, and we would travel okay. all over. Um, and uh, during that time, like I said, I had been working with this other uh, um, group of, of Paranexus. It was a nexus of uh, paranormal investigators down in uh, Primarily, they were out of Florida, and one was out of New Jersey, I believe. But all this time, I kept um, studying and upskilling on various forms of science that would be misinterpreted as paranormal. And that's been my focus ever since. Five years ago, I moved from Worcester up to North Conway, and I just renamed the group to Mount Washington Valley Spirit, obviously being far away. Um, most of my group either, you know, um, uh, switched over to other teams or they just kind of faded out, you know, it was kind of out of their blood. They didn't want to do it anymore. But I typically haven't been doing many empirical investigations. I've been doing more consulting and education. Um, I've been mm -hmm. doing a lot of speaking lately, like Jer Jerry Will's show, which uh, we did a two-and-a-half-hour show recently. Um, but I find I can be more um, of better use in the field, um, helping educate others with the knowledge that I have. Um, or, you know, I get I do do cases, but I'll tell you 95% of the time I don't even have to go to do um, an on-site investigation anymore. I'm pretty much able to um, figure out what's going on with just, you know, doing the interview. And that's pretty much where I am now. Well, that's yeah, exciting. And you're doing your own thing, and you're backing it up with science, which is very interesting. And it's, um, again, it's an, the whole field has exploded, and everybody thinks they're a ghost hunter who wants to be one. And there's so many people that you see organizing their little groups. Oh, we're going to go to the penitentiary, penitentiary or we're going to go to the mental hospital. It's like, don't call me because I don't want to go. <laughs> Uh, to any of those places, and PK, I don't think you like those places either. But Definitely there's a lot of people me. who think, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people who think that they're they can grab their EVP recorders and uh, their cameras, and they're good to go. And there's so much more to this. Not only is there oh, yeah. a need for a scientific approach, but there's also a need to be extremely cautious because you're dealing with things these people i'm not saying you but a lot of people are dealing with things they have no experience with 
And they could end up with something trailing them home or even attacking them right then and there, and they wouldn't even really know it until it's too late. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful to have somebody like you that can give them some good good advice or maybe even dissuade them. Because a lot of people, I mean, when you even say the, the term ghost hunting, it sounds like you're going to go there and poke the bear, which is never a good idea. So how, how do you deal with these yeah, people? Exactly. What do you tell them? Well, if we backtrack a little bit, prior to 15 years ago, um, there was a technically a separation between ghost hunters and paranormal investigators. It actually dates back probably about 135 years ago, and the vast majority of the people in the field were various forms of scientists. Um, fast forward to about 15 years ago, the television shows came on board, and of course they're putting out a product that is geared towards, you know, building the greatest audience. And, you know, people are going to tune in for the spooky and not for the science. So with these TV shows, and I'm not knocking them, I still watch some of them myself. I find them entertaining. But, you know, prior to that, a lot of what was done in the field was primarily your more advanced science techniques. And that kind of got lost in the translation with these television shows because what they're doing is ghost hunting. And, you know, historically, the science side of things would be known as a paranormal investigation. So someone who goes looking for paranormal activity would have been a ghost hunter, and someone who goes in trying to explain perceived paranormal activity was a paranormal investigator. But uh, those two terms have become pretty much synonymous over the past 15 years. Um, But that being said, um, the, the unfortunate thing in the field is there's no official form of education. You kind of have to learn from other people. And a lot of what's happened is, is a lot of these TV shows have become a template that people use. So they believe that you just go in with the these meters and, you know, they, they act like ghost detectors. I'll give you an example. Um, there was a movie called uh, Paranormal Activity I'm sure you heard of. They, uh, yes. And one of the one of the versions of it, they use what's called an SLS camera, you know, the ones with the little green stick figures. That camera it, it historically has been used for something like video game makers. They put people against a green wall and then put sensors on them, and an SLS camera would record their movements and convert that into code to be used in the video game. Well, since it was used on the Paranormal Activity movie, there's a couple companies that decided, hey, you know, let's cash in on this and start selling it as a paranormal investigation tool when it was just, you know, a gimmick for a movie. So, you know, that's now showing up on TV shows when people are going out and spending three, four, five hundred dollars on this device. Um, and I huh. wish there was, you know, more shows. Uh, there, I wish there was more TV shows available that actually were more educational, um, maybe a documentary mm-hmm. series on how to actually conduct a real paranormal investigation. Because I, I see people who are really gung-ho, but unfortunately the TV shows aren't, you know, they're not uh, the best education when it comes to how to conduct investigation. Um, and the, the No, you're right. They're not there to do that. Our... Yeah, they're not there to no, do that. They're the, very they clear about that. They are there to basically scare people and, you know, get huge audience numbers to make their advertisers happy. They don't care about anything else. So you're right. Exactly. And so then anything that this not is there to, to inform, they're not interested. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Because no one's going to turn in, tune in, and watch a show where they're going to science the heck out of something. I mean, it might make a great an hour and a half, two hour long documentary, 
um, or a how-to DVD or Blu-ray, but no one's going to mm-hmm. tune in and actually watch a real paranormal investigation because it's hours and hours of sitting there in a quiet room while your gadgets are in another room doing their thing. Like, if I do an investigation, I have uh, various equipment that you'll never see used on television shows. They're all different type of scientific analyzers, and it's basically you set it and forget it. You hook it up to your computer, and then you just leave and let the devices collect all the data, and you analyze it later, you know, because I'm looking for a scientific explanation versus a paranormal one. Now, if you're a ghost hunter going in to do a paranormal investigation, one of the mistakes that they make is... is um, you shouldn't be uh, walking around with devices. I mean, our our nervous system acts as big EMF antennas. I mean, if you have um, various form of spectral cameras across the spectrum from radio to microwave to infrared to visual, you'll see that our nervous system puts off the gambit across the spectrum, and it affects these devices. So that's one of the big things that you see on TV that will not work in a real investigation is you cannot walk around with your equipment. You literally just got to put it down and step away. Um, but you know, what kind of equipment uh, you don't do you use? TV. I mean, you're, you're talking about you you hook it up to your computer and you can leave it. Um, what yes. what kinds of things are you using? Are you using EVP devices? Are you using infrared cameras? What do you use? All right. So let's see. I have an infrasound monitor. Um, for those who aren't aware, infrasound is sound frequencies below the human perceptual range. The human ear can hear between, in general, 20 to 20,000 hertz. Infrasound are the sound frequencies below 20 hertz that we can't hear but are there. Um, primarily, like elephants and rhinoceros will use them, um, thunderstorms and uh, tectonic plate movements, uh, volcanic eruptions will cause infrasound, but anything with a spinning motor can uh, cause infrasound as well. And um, if you are sensitive to infrasound, it can actually cause symptoms that are similar to those that uh, would lead you to believe that you're experiencing paranormal activity, including hallucinations that can cause anxiety, shakiness, it can cause sleeplessness, it can cause uh, what's known as scopostasia, which is the feeling of being watched. So I have a device that actually analyzes this, and if it's present, we can, uh, you know, maybe let the person know. I'll give you a quick example. I just did a case recently where someone um, had been experiencing all those symptoms, and they called in a ghost hunting team, and they told them, you know, the place was haunted, but they weren't fully buying into that. So they uh, called me and I had a five-minute conversation with them and it basically came down to the fact that they were, uh, I asked them if they were using any type of uh, old dryer that was making some interesting noises. They said, no. I said, do you use a diesel generator because that'll produce infrasound? And they said, no. Um, And they had mentioned that their symptoms included ear pain and headaches, which turned me on to infrasound. I said, do you happen to have one of those old metallic fans? And she goes, as a matter of fact, I do. I says, is it old and starting to sound a little funny? She says, yeah, in fact, it is. And I says, turn it off. That's where your problems are coming from. And wow. then, um, so Good grief. And then she had, yeah, she also had scopostasia, the feeling of being watched, which is often a symptom of claustrophobia. So I said to her, have you been doing anything around your house, you know, uh, moving anything around um, have you been cleaning out closets? You have actually, yeah, I've been cleaning out the walk-in closet in my bedroom, and I have boxes stacked everywhere. I says, um, can you tell me where you're getting this feeling of being watched? You'll actually, come to think of it, it's in the bedroom. I says, well, what I think is happening is you're laying down to go to bed. The light patterns are different because the boxes are there, so you're seeing shadows. 
I says, you know, have you ever had problems with elevators? And she says, come to think of it, I have, but not enough to not go in it. I says, why don't you get the room cleaned up? I'm willing to bet you're getting acute claustrophobia that, you know, is making you feel like you're being watched. So long story short, she uh, got rid of the fan and uh, cleaned up a room and all those reported, you know, perceived paranormal symptoms uh, went away. So that's why I use Incredible. a infrasound monitor. I also use an ultrasound monitor. Those are frequencies over 20,000 hertz. Um, as with infrasound, ultrasound can cause a lot of similar symptoms if you're susceptible to it. As everyone knows, ultrasound is used in the medical field. You know, and that the, that short burst mm-hmm. that really won't bother you. Sometimes you can feel your um, organs vibrating when they use it, but even in lower doses for extended periods of time, you can start having all kinds of interesting physical symptoms similar to what I mentioned with infrasound. And ultrasound can be put out by, like, neon lights. It can be put out by um, various um, uh, apparatuses around your house, you know, different appliances. Um, some animals use it for echolocation, um, those pest control devices. I had one case where someone, you know, thought they were, you know, uh, had paranormal activity, and it turns out it was just one of those pest control devices was uh, giving them, pro- you know, they're having uh, the same symptoms of infrasound exposure because of a pest control device. So um, I always try and rule out infrasound and ultrasound when I'm doing an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, I use a gas detector. It detects, like, carbon monoxide, uh, hydrogen sulfide, um, combustibles. Um, even in low amounts over an extended period of time, um, some of these fumes can start causing hallucinations or other symptoms that you perceive as paranormal activity. These things can come from almost anything, um, generators, heating systems. Um, I use air wow. quality detector. It um, detects formaldehyde, um, natural and synthetic volatile compounds, um, particulate dust matter. I mean, you get um, mold in the house, that's going to give you, you know, possible hallucinations right there. Um, so I check the air quality in the house. I have uh, an electrostatic and ion balance al- uh, analyzer. Um, electrostatic is, you know, you rub your feet against the carpet, you touch something metal, you're going to see a spark. But um, mm-hmm. electrostatic can actually be stagnant and hang out in the air, and um, it can be misinterpreted as paranormal because c- it can present itself as cold spots, or your hair can just start sticking up on end and make you feel like you're being huh. watched. So wow. I have devices for that. I have, um, yeah, I have a device that senses ionizing radiation, um, alpha, beta, gamma, and X-ray radiation. Basically, it's a Geiger counter. Um, you know, in general, people don't have you know, weird kinds of radiation unless they're living near a, uh, like a bomb testing facility. So you'd be surprised what people will buy over the internet, all kinds of various stones, and you don't know where they came from. Um, some yeah. of these objects people buy from overseas could, could have been somewhere near a testing ground or from some country that was bombed mm. at some point, and it could have small amounts of radiation still in it, and over a period of time, that can start causing some interesting physical symptoms. Um, I use an atmospheric array that measures uh, precipitation, wind speed, temperature, humidity, air pressure, Um, you know, because a lot of what's perceived to be paranormal activity can be easily explained with atmospheric conditions. Um, I have other equipment. I do have a clear thermal cam that you see on the TV shows. Um, You know, it sees in the dark in the infrared. They use it on TV shows to find... Um, various, you know, paranormal entities. I actually use it to find 
um, where drafts are coming from, uh, trying to find rodents in the walls or in the floors that be, could be causing noise. There's something called a Hemholtz resonance. That is a small hole or cavity where you blow across it or wind blows across it and it can make a whistle, a hum, whispering noise. I'll give you an example. Um, the old metallic soda bottles. Um, you blow across it and it makes a whistling sound. That's a Hemholtz resonance. I had a case huh. once, and I'll keep a very long story short, where someone had a fence pole right outside of an air vent outside their house, and there was a missing screw. So when wind would blow across this from different directions, it was making different noises. Getting pulled, That sound was getting picked up in the air vents going into the house. And um, air vents can actually in, um, amplify and alter sound. So the sound as it was being made at the fence, um, the hole in the pole um, was being altered and it was making like a spooky sound noise. So this person actually thought their house was haunted and it turns out it was a Hemholtz resonance. It was just a missing screw in a pole and a fence um, that was, uh, the sound was getting amplified. And so these, this uh, FLIR camera, I use it for that, you know, for that purpose. I do have EMF meters, as you would see on TV. Mine are a little more complicated than that, but I use them to find just sources of EMF because, you know, EMF can do all sorts of uh, physical symptoms. Um, I do have what you see on TV, a laser grid, and they use it to try and find paranormal activity. For me, I use it to find um, where there's drafts because if there's a draft, it's going to be dust blowing, and with hundreds and hundreds of laser points, I am able to see if there's dust blowing around or if there's higher humidity. So that's what I use the laser grid for. I do have um, a full-spectrum camera, which I use primarily to find vermin. Um, I do have wireless cameras, but I don't use it to find activity usually, per se. I use it to monitor the equipment because I put the equipment in the room and then I leave the room and something needs to record the readings on the equipment. So that's what I use the cameras primarily for. I do have a few... Um, high megapixel motion triggered cameras that I have, but I use them to, you know, catch typically wildlife outside because, you know, we all have vents in our houses. And um, mm -hmm. like I said, uh, we all have cavities in the house between walls, between floors, the HVAC systems, uh, even basements, um, sound can be altered. And, you know, a rodent could make a noise on one side of the house and it will sound completely different, like something spooky on the other. So basically all my equipment is geared towards trying to find a scientific cause. I do have an audio recorder, but I don't use a typical microphone. I use what's called a binaural microphone. It's actually this expensive microphone that's designed to record, uh, I'm sorry, to receive sound as a human would hear it. The problem with digital recorders is, is they use typically what's known as a MEMS microphone. It's a microelectech mic. It, um, I won't get into the technical specifications of it because no one wants to hear that, but um, basically they're really, really um, susceptible to radio interference. Um, a condenser mic wouldn't be, but most of these mics use an Electech mic or they use a different type of microphone um, that is very susceptible to radio interference. One way to uh, get by that is to use what's called a Faraday bag. They're pretty inexpensive, and it will block out 95% of the radiation that can interfere with these devices. Um, mm -hmm. One quick story is I had a case where somebody 
um, thought that they had recorded um, a man in their house, um, the voice of a man. Now, this person kind of lived in the boonies somewhere, didn't have any male neighbors. And I uh, ghost hunting team went in there and, you know, said, hey, you have paranormal activity, congratulations. And they sent it to me to say, hey, look what we found. I said, really, did you amplify it? I heard what sounded like a ham radio call sign, and I looked at because I'm an amateur radio operator, I looked in the database, and it turned out to be a ham radio operator 1,500 miles away who was using a directional oh. antenna. There is a, oh there's oh a phenomenon called ionosphere. Yeah, there's a, there's a phenomenon called ionospheric radio wave propagation. Basically, in layperson terms, um, the sun's uh, sunspots and uh, lets off a radiation that in our ionosphere about 60 miles up it separates the protons from the electrons and acts like a mirror to radio signals below 30 megahertz so this guy was doing experiments with trying to bounce radio signals off of a satellite but um his high wattage was actually bouncing off the atmosphere and coming down and interfering with this person's audio recorder 1500 miles away um oh but goodness. a faraday bag would have probably prevented most of that so, like I said, you know, I'm not denying that this paranormal. I've had my experiences that I can't deny, but I have just as much fun finding scientific causes. And I don't just say, hey, it could be this. I look for proof that um, what, what my summation of what the uh, activity actually is with scientific proof, you know. But there's been a couple times where I wasn't able to do that. But honestly, in most cases, I'm able to find some science, even if some obscure yeah. science um to, uh, now, how do to, people uh, feel when when you get back to them and you say, um, <clears throat> this isn't paranormal, are they disappointed? Well, it depends. You know, like some people are so um, big fans of the paranormal, they want it to be paranormal. You know, there's something mm -hmm. called observer expectancy effect or observer expectancy bias where something could be completely mundane and you can perceive it to be paranormal because you love the paranormal. Um, so a lot of times people were just like, oh, darn, you know, I wish it was paranormal. Um, other times they were leaped because some people, due to uh, the personal belief or religious teachings, they're afraid. Um, and mm -hmm. it's a big relief to them to find out, you know, there's a scientific reason and that they're not crazy, you know, because they'll tell people yeah. stories and people are like, oh, you need to shrink. You're nuts, you know. And often it's um, me, you know, it's uh, ghost hunters or other paranormal investigators sending me evidence for my opinion. And, uh, you know, and I'll explain to them what I feel it is. And some of them are like, oh, thank you for educating me. I appreciate it. And others get defensive because, you know, I'm contradicting what they, you know, their skill set. So it's kind of 50-50, mm -hmm. but um, more often than yeah. not, it's a positive experience. Yeah, that's great. Now, one thing I want to mention is that PK and I had <clears throat> a Bigfoot hunter on last month. And he talked about infrasound. Remember that, PK? And yes, how he he was out, he saw a Bigfoot, and the next thing he knew, he was uh, walking away, and he was talking about what had affected him was infrasound. He got very disoriented, and he found himself walking, like he didn't plan on walking away, and but he was. But he explained to us that a lot of the Bigfoot people know that Bigfoot does use infrasound, and they use it for those reasons, to confuse people, to make them hallucinate, or do something under their control. 
um, under the Bigfoot control. So if the Bigfoot doesn't want you near them, they'll mm-hmm. hit you with infrasound and you get disoriented and off you go in some other direction. So we found that very interesting. And now here you're talking about it, but coming from uh, not paranormal sources, but regular mechanical sources, more or less. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we have heard that Bigfoot yeah, uses it. Have you heard that? I've never really gotten too much into the cryptids of the Bigfoot stuff, but I've heard it before. You know, kind of like they, uh, per, you know, perceive to be used as a defense mechanism. The funny thing is about infrasound, it's such low frequency. Like I mentioned before, various animals like rhinoceros and elephants use it to communicate in packs. But this infrasound has been scientifically proven to travel hundreds of miles. So, um, you know, it's not something that's just very localized. Infrasound can travel a great distance. So, you know, that's why with paranormal investigations, I like to use an infrasound monitor because um, the infrasound may not be in someone's house. It could be a generator down the street that's causing infrasound that, you know, is influencing them. It's uh, if, if I had to recommend one piece of equipment for every paranormal investigator or ghost hunter out there, it would be an infrasound monitor. Um, they're really? hmm. several hundred dollars. There's only one company I know of that actually makes them that you can, uh, you know, that aren't, you know, ridiculously expensive like used in the scientific field. Um, the one I use is actually made for seismologists, um, you know, to be able to try and pr- predict earthquakes and um, stuff like volcanic eruptions. But I use it for the different purpose of trying to find infrasound that's causing people to have physical symptoms that are getting misinterpreted as paranormal activity. I'm able to hook it up to my computer and see a waveform and see frequency and amplitude. Um, Like if you have speakers loud in your house, you know, things start vibrating and shaking. Stuff can Mm -hmm. start sliding off the tables or shelves. Infrasound, um, like I'll give an example, there's a theory um, that people throw around that um, paranormal activity is um, escalated during storms. Now, it's not my place to speak on that side of it, on the, but on the scientific side, there's something called Schumann resonances. Um, I had mentioned the ionosphere before, but what happens is, is um, these storms produce uh, infrasound, and um, it actually gets trapped in between the ionosphere and the air currents within the storm. So, you know, it, as it bounces, it increases in decibels, you know, kind of like how loud thunder gets, but you can't physically hear it because it's infrasound. Well, eventually it has to go somewhere, and it often comes back down to Earth. Now, if you have an infrasound monitor, you can actually see this waveform, and it almost looks like nature's heartbeat. It's just pulsing. But, you know, with hmm. this going on during storms and all this infrasound, I'm wondering with, uh, you know, not all these cases, I'm not saying this is, you know, a catch-all, but how many of these reported, you know, increases of uh, perceived paranormal uh, situations during storms is actually being caused by infrasound? Because, like I said, infrasound can cause things to slide off a table, fall off a shelves. It can make you feel like you're being watched or, you know, if you're matrixing something or pareidolia because your body's receiving all this infrasound, you can start hallucinating and seeing apparitions. So um, that's why I wow. suggest anyone in this field get, you know, spend the money and get an infrasound monitor because it's going to really give you a scientific um, possibility as being the cause in many, many of the cases. That is so fascinating. 
So right away, you might be able to determine that this is not a paranormal event, that this has something to do with a mechanical situation. So that's great, and you can start ruling things out. Now, you've mentioned that there were a few times that you couldn't rule things out. Tell us about those. Oh, my favorite one. I was actually talking about this on Jerry's show. He was like, wow. So I was doing one of those events with Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. We were at the Rolling Hills Asylum up in New York. Um, There was me and Barry, and I I believe Chris Williams was there for the beginning of it, but I think she stepped out to go with another group because you don't need three people running one, you know, one investigation. You know, there's investigations going on all over the property. And, um, Barry and I were doing kind of an educational lesson on communication, you know, how to communicate or attempt to communicate with um, uh, perceived, uh, you know, paranormal entities, you know, different methods, methodology, you know, different tips and tricks on, you know, what may have worked for us. Well, out of nowhere, I get an answer as I'm trying to, you know, Barry and I are teaching. So, you know, at first, Barry and I are looking around the room. Um, you have to picture, I'm, I'm in the middle of the classroom. There's about 15 people in front of me. They're pretty much sitting on the floor or on chairs. I'm sitting on the floor. Barry's off to the side of the room. And I start getting this raspy answer. And I'm looking to see if anyone's throwing their voice, if, you know, anyone has any devices. I'm like, hey, everyone, turn off your voice recorders, turn off your phone. Um, I want to make sure anything with a speaker in it's turned off because, you know, it could have been some sort of radio signal. Um, we looked through the room. There was no speakers or anything. But I kid you not, you can ask Barry Fitzgerald. For 10 minutes, I had a conversation with something that was visually not there. Um, it wasn't like a full-blown conversation like we're having now. I was asking questions, and I'd get, like, raspy answers. And they were definitely answers that were geared towards the questions I was asking. I was just trying to find out its name, where it's from, what it's doing in the area, you know. And some of the answers were unintelligible. Um, at this point, a couple people are running out of the room scared. Some people are just sitting there like a deer in headlights. And, um, were they so hearing anyway, the voice also? And then, oh, were absolutely. They it the was Okay, that's really good to know. So oh, yeah, it, it was, wasn't just was you about, heard, hearing it in your head. Everybody was hearing it. Okay. Oh, no, that's why cool. people were running out of the room or just <laughs> sitting there looking at right. the headlights because they were astonished. So after Thank the you. conversation, um, you know, everyone cleared out of the room to go to their next rotation, and I'm looking around the room looking for any type of interference, any type of device, like someone planted anything, but there was nothing. And the funny thing is, is it didn't end there. Um, you had mentioned earlier about people needing to be careful about taking something home with them, and I never thought about that before. Um, you know, I've always been the science guy, you know. So I get the yeah. next day I go home. And the, the day after that, I'm hanging out with my friend Sandra. I went to go visit her at her house, and we're walking around outside, just catching up, chit-chatting. And she said, who's so-and-so? And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name. It was a unique name from years ago. Maybe she should remember. I should actually reach out to her at some point. And I says, where did you get that name from? And she goes, well, their energy's with you or they're with you. She, you know, she's intuitive. And I says, did you see a review of the event I just did online or something? Because I hadn't told her. You know, I didn't typically go around talking about what I did because most people think you're nuts because of the stigma. And she goes, no, this, this is an energy that's with you. 
So she came up with this unique name, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name. It's been like 13, 14 years. But she came up with the name of the entity that Barry and I were speaking with at this event in New York. So apparently there was some residual energy of some sort that came home with me. Now, I had been feeling uh, tired and weak, which isn't normal for me because I'm a hyperactive, full of energy type person. I'm a fitness nut. I'm one of those crazy people. Um, I figured it was just exhaustion from the, I figured it was just exhaustion from the event, you know, because we had stayed up late for a couple nights and all the driving, but she led me through kind of like a guided meditation and um, just like that, you know, it was lifted and I felt right as rain again. So do I know exactly what happened? Absolutely not, but there was just too many things that I could not easily explain to science to be able to write any of it off. Yeah, that's a good one. And it is, again, it's so important to check your energy. Luckily, you had an intuitive friend who was able to help you clear it. We had a medium on the show that (laughs) this, I'll never forget this, PK. I'm sure you won't either. And we kept hearing a squeaky chair, like an office chair. You know, it's horrible squeaky noise. It's so damn loud. And... And I'm thinking, where this got to be the guest because, I mean, PK and I have been radio hosts for years. We know better than to sit in a squeaky chair. So during a break, I was talking to, to this medium. I said, um, can you change your chair? Because it's really, really loud, squeaking really loud, and it's so distracting. And she said, I'm sitting in a dining room chair. So it wasn't any yeah, of us. That's right. And... So we talked about it on the air, and it stopped. But after the show, I took a photograph in the room, and a Mm -hmm. devil's head showed up. Clear as day, horns, pointy chin. It was a devil's head. And we had just had Dr. Gallagher on the show who a few weeks before, who is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist and an exorcist. And I sent him the photo. I said, what do you think? He said, oh, my goodness, that's the devil. I mean, it was that clear of a photograph. So I called up the medium. I got her assistant, and I told her what happened. And I said, listen, you need to tell her to clear herself because she hadn't been feeling well. And she was continuing to do work, which is never a good thing to do when you're a medium, to continue to speak to the dead because you don't have your normal protection up. So she had pneumonia, and she was not getting well. This thing had been following her around. So we never heard back from her, but it was a fascinating experience. Definitely. Oh, yeah. After my experience, I actually uh, started taking classes um, at a local uh, metaphysical shop in uh, guided meditation just so... I would uh, be better prepared if that were to happen again or I could help other people because I like uh, educating other people. But I found that actually uh, that guided meditation also helped me at different periods of my life when I was having difficulty with like anxiety or depression, um, which I used to suffer from when I was younger. And it's definitely very helpful. Um, in my house, my fiance, uh, Kristen, she's actually a Reiki practitioner, and uh, she's all into the gemmy stones and... Um, that sort of thing. But we actually have a gemstone grid up in the house. And I do I 
think that the gemstones are actually, you know, protecting us. Meh, scientifically, probably not. You know, then you get into the metaphysical world, you know, where you can have different beliefs. But there's something called the stone tape theory. Um, it's similar to, like, bricks of a pizza oven. Um, you know, they can keep radiating heat long after the fire's out. Um, there's stones like limestone, like quartz crystals, that have the ability to... Uh, absorb energy and re-radiate it over a long period of time. That's why, like, if there's a, you know, an atomic bomb dropped somewhere, you know, or a nuclear bomb dropped somewhere, you often can't go back for, you know, hundreds of years. Well, so yeah. we have the stone grid put up in the house, and we regularly infuse it with our own energy, you know, even if it's more of a, you know, an effect of just, you know, for peace of mind, you know, do I actually think it's putting up a shield around the house? Meh, you know, but um, it, it's kind of like a placebo effect, at least, where we feel like we're doing something to help protect our house because, you know, when you're doing this paranormal stuff, like I said, when I was younger, I didn't completely believe that stuff, you know, could follow you, but, you know, the proof was in the pudding, you know, someone completely outside of the mm-hmm. field, uh, you know, picked up on it. So, you know, I'd rather be safe than sorry, per se. So, yeah, we have a, a yeah. grid in the house to uh, try and uh, protect us from stuff like that. That's really great. That's that's excellent. Well, it's the all vibration, right? And so if you have a, a grid that is meant and intended to be for protection, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is on some level. And, and that's that sometimes is enough. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you need some extra help. I know when Kristen, when uh, Katrina Rasbold was here with us, she's a, a brouhoff and a witch. She does this type of clearing for people, curse clearing, cross clearing, all those kinds of things. It's very interesting what she finds and how she clears it. But a lot of people don't even know. They're walking around. They've been cursed or attacked in mm-hmm. some way, and they have some energy that's making their lives miserable. So we always recommend Katrina because she's so highly trained and, and is able to help people with these kinds of things. But especially these people that are just going willy-nilly into these haunted areas. And you never know what you're going to bring home. So it's good that you guys, you and your fiancé, well, know what lot, to do. Yeah, well, a lot of this protection is, I don't want to call it placebo effect. That's not the right term, but it's basically you know, you pushing your own energy, your own strength, almost into like a, a protective shield around yourself, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Uh, like uh, my fiance's mm-hmm. Native American, my fiance Kristen's Native American. She's actually a descendant of Pocahontas' family, but we've done a lot of studying into Native American traditions. And as you know, a lot of people in the field, they'll do cl- cleansings using uh, various forms of herbs. Um, sage, mm-hmm. sweetgrass, copal, copal resin. Um, they'll use um, so they use smudge wands. Now, I have done cleansings for people in the past, but I typically do it in a method of um, educating them on how to do it themselves. Because as you know, it's primarily more of a talisman than anything—a way to imprint your own energy to give it a physical appearance by you know doing it through a smudging. So yes. I actually use something. It's a blend of it's a blend of I believe six different herbs. It's um, it's a Native American blend that I buy off of a um, Native American tribe down south. And um, I'll use this, but like I said, I, it's 
important, I feel, to train others on how to do this because you want them to imprint their energy on their property and not you imprinting yours because mm-hmm. even though you could be the most positive person, your energy could be misinterpreted by someone else's nervous system and have the same effect as something that might be negative. Oh, for, yeah. You didn't think about that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's important to pay attention and to have some tools at your fingertips, whether it's smudge wands or crystals or both or Katrina. <laughs> you know, there's got to be somewhere to keep an eye on these things. Yeah. She does Olympia, too, which they take an egg is a South American tradition, and, and they rub it all over the person's body, and then they they open the egg in a glass and read it. And that's where I've seen some amazing things in these eggs where it, you can actually see the entities that are captured in the eggs that, that were attached to these people. It's it's really interesting. So those old traditions, oh, yeah. even, they have uh, a lot of power. Oh, yeah. I've seen another one um, that uh, someone told me about down in Massachusetts. It was the same metaphysical shop. This woman was actually a level three Reiki you know, and uh, Native American, but there was another one to deal with pagan rituals, I believe, if I remember right, where you would put a mix of stones in a bottle, and then you can either spit or technically they prefer that you urinate in it. And then you put one Mm -hmm. at each corner of your house outside buried, and it's uh, intended similarly to putting up a, like a stone grid and is uh, used for protection. Hmm. Wow, not heard of that. All these ways, yeah. So we really need to pay attention to some of these ways that we're most comfortable with and and use them, because these entities are all around us. And if you're a ghost hunter, you're going into facilities where there's paranormal activity, then you need to pay attention to some of these ways of clearing afterwards. We've even heard stories of Mothman, when people have gone into caves and started provoking Mothman, and Mothman follows them back home and makes their lives miserable. So, yeah. Well, and again, I I know that you're an educator, mostly, is what you're saying. And so I think that's a, an important role to play as this this whole field continues to expand. We need people like you to try to give some common sense to some of this. That's for sure. Well, it's like I said earlier, you know, like if you want to – learn something about any subject in real life there's typically a school or a place to go to learn about it you know that's not the case in the paranormal field um there is no like structured class oh that's not true there's some colleges that do basic paranormal classes but there's nothing in depth that you know everyone has access to you know people in the field are unfortunately they're primarily learning from television shows which as you stated is not you know the best teacher so, you know, they're looking to other people. And then they're, you know, unfortunately, there's something called the availability cascade. It's basically, what that basically means is is where, you know, someone um, has incorrect information, they pass it around to a person, and then it cascades down to other people, and then more people and more people. So where someone who thinks they know what they're doing starts passing on misinformation and before you know it you know tens hundreds or even thousands of people are following this misinformation now there is a lot Mm -hmm. of misinformation going around the paranormal field and i feel that it's important that um a lot of us who you know kind of really do know what we're doing have uh and i did it myself i kind of laid low for many years um after the whole tv craze 
those of us who, you know, really do have a pretty uh, good footing in, you know, the sciences, we get laughed at and we get grouped together with recreational ghost hunters. So for about 10 to 15 years now, most of us have um, kind of laid low. I kind of laid low for probably, oh, my God, probably about eight, nine years. You know, I was still doing my research and I was helping people who contacted me, but I wasn't out there like I am now. Um, just because of that stigma. But, you know, things are seemingly getting better with that. The, you know, the stigma isn't as bad as it once was. So I figured maybe myself and a couple, if I can get a couple others to, you know, who really do know what they're doing to come out and start helping educate. Maybe we can, you know, help, edu- you know, uh, train people on how to do a more mm-hmm. in-depth science investigation because the stigma is is that people are going in with their EMF meters and finding spooky ghosts everywhere without doing any science. And I'm not saying people need to do 100% science all the time like I do, but there's got to be a happy medium somewhere. So I figure, you know, if there's other people like me, and I know a couple, and I'm trying to get them to come out of the woodwork, um, to start doing some educating. And, um, you know, some people are going to be more than happy to get the education that we're willing to offer and others, you know, we're just setting their ways. They're going to do what they're going to do. But even if we can help some people, it's better than nothing. You know, and if enough people start, you know, like I said, the availability cascade, maybe we can get some truths going through the grapevine, you know, get some of this training bleeding throughout the uh, the paranormal field. Maybe we can, uh, in the next couple decades, maybe get some of the stigma, you know, lifted off. If you remember some some years ago, a lot of colleges and scientific institutions were actually putting a lot of money into doing um, science related to paranormal investigations. But then this whole stigma really started building over the past couple decades. And the people who decide what money gets spent where are not scientists. They're, you know, typically wealthy board of directors who are, are retired but not overly familiar with science. You know, they hear a pitch and then they decide, yes, we'll put, you know, a million dollars into that or not. So with all the stigma, you know, all these board of directors at these various places had stopped allowing money to be spent on these scientific investigations just because primarily because of the stigma. It's like, how did they defend to the people who were, you know, donating all this money? Yeah, we're doing the spooky stuff you see on TV, you know? So... I'm hoping, right. you know, if enough of us get enough people educated, maybe they're, you know, some of these institutions will start putting money into uh, some actual real scientific research. I mean, you watch any of these TV shows or people in the field, they start talking about these theories. Uh, there's this theory, there's that theory. And unfortunately, the people who quote these theories don't know who came up with the theory, what scientific backing it has. It's just, you know, the availability cascade. It's information that's been passed on from person to person, but there's been no real advancement in our field in quite some time. It's just kind of circling, and people are just doing the same thing. And uh, the other issue well, is but a lot of it is sharing data with each Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. They're not sharing data, exactly. and it's suppressed. I mean, if you look at the Skull Group in the U.K., and I, I want to also let our, our listeners know, unfortunately, some sad news. Robin Foy, who was a lead investigator and medium in the Skull Group, passed away this year. Just found out about it. He passed away in his sleep. Uh, but anyways, he was a great man. He was incredible. He was very credible in all of the work that, that he did. And you can watch his work on a movie on YouTube that is free, and it's called The Afterlife Investigations, 
highly recommend it to everybody. So anyhow, uh, with people like like the Skull Group, they had six mediums. These are physical mediums. So they were able to bring in airports. They were able uh, to have full-body manifestations caught on camera and video. They did the most amazing things I have ever seen. And it involved the psychical research um, uh, group out in the U.K. They don't get involved unless it's they're sure it's pretty credible stuff. But, I mean, again, I didn't even hear about it over here. We didn't hear about it mm-hmm. for years. I mean, I had them on my show. Robin was on the show three times. And but even all of the uh, all of the details of what happened in the five year period that they did their sittings, it took us three interviews to get all the information to to come out in the open. And again, it was suppressed. People over here had never heard of the Skull Group, yet they did things that nobody else had ever done before. So I couldn't believe oh, yeah, it. I'm like, the- why? Why wasn't this headline news? You know. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, back in the day, Barry Fitzgerald from Ghost Hunters International had uh, been working with a couple colleges out there in the UK, and they were doing some real investigative work and into paranormal sciences. And he actually, uh, thankfully, got me involved with some of their uh, work. And uh, they're still doing some over there, but you just don't hear about it. Unfortunately, you know, in the United States, at least, I can't speak for the UK because I haven't really, you know, spent any time over there ever. But it's the stigma over here. It's all about the spooky. There's just so many paranormal shows that when you even start to talk about the paranormal, people think recreational ghost hunting. They don't think of the actual Mm -hmm. scientific base side of the field. So things get ran off quickly. You know, say say you or I came up with undisputable evidence and we know for a fact it's paranormal. You put that up on the Internet, 95% of the people are going to tell you that it's fake or it's, um, been altered somehow, it's been staged. You know, so people who are doing real work aren't coming out of the woodwork to share it for um, just because they're going to get lambasted by someone. You know, they're, they're, no matter what they do or how truthful it is, you're going to have a few believers who believe everything. But in general, anything you put out there is just going to get overly criticized. And it, it can really well, be um, yeah. You have to be you have to be careful in how how you do it. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean Robert Bigelow. Are you familiar with his work with the Vicks organization, Life After Proof of Life After Death? He's the billionaire that I've heard about it. I've read a little involved. about it. He's very involved with UFOs, and and then he started this group and put out the call for papers to be written about proof of life after death, and then he awards grants accordingly. And I believe it was Jeffrey Mishlove who won the the biggest grant and the most accolades for his work in life after death. So what Bigelow is trying to do, from what I can see, is he is trying to give this work credibility and be able to bring it to all of our institutions, you know, hospitals and and places where people are, dying, you know, also hospice organizations, so that people can begin to accept this, that there is life after death. So I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what his end goal is completely, but I know that a lot of people who are, um, you know, very, very educated are are involved and working on this to, again, bring this out of the dark ages so that it becomes an actionable part of our 
our lives, our reality. Yes, there is life after death. Yes, there are ghosts. Yes, there are entities that hang around after they die and don't cross over. And that's some of what you're dealing with as a ghost hunter. Is it that? Yeah. Exactly. It may happen eventually. Um, You know, people like me and us, you know, people who are getting, you know, the information out there, it helps. But I'll give you an example. Like, if you remember back in the day, anyone who did Reiki or stone healing or anything like that, Mm -hmm. it was basically balked at. Um, but, oh, yes. you know, I'm from Worcester, you know, you're from Massachusetts, you know, you're, you're very aware of UMass Hospital. Um, UMass Memorial yes. actually has a ward called, um, uh, oh God, it's holistic or natural something or rather. They actually have a ward for um, non-pharmaceutical medical interventions where you, they will treat, treat you with various forms of stones or Reiki. You know, hospitals are accepting of this now. Many hospitals actually mm-hmm. will create a ward. They call it mindfulness. It just popped in my head. They call it the mindfulness department. Um, but, you know, this is now getting accepted by even the best hospitals in the country, which UMass is one of them, as, you know, accepted medicine. You know, in like what you said with uh, what you were just talking about or in general in the paranormal field, I'm hel- I'm hoping to be one of the voices to help get us back to where we once were. You know, it was at one point. You know, paranormal was widely accepted and very widely researched, and that's not the case anymore. But I'm hoping, you know, if we can get, you know, enough people educated, you know, it might start to creep back in and we'll actually make some advancement in the field because it's been stagnant for quite some time. Yeah, yeah it, it has great. in some ways. And then, and then the progress that's made isn't talked about. But with the BICS organization, there's a lot of, of really fine people behind it. I think we're going to see more of this. Um, but, again, the afterlife investigations, I, I, was in, I was just totally shocked that all of what they had done in that school group was absolutely, you know, hidden from us. And so few people know about that movie and the work that was done so few every time i mention it they're like what where do you see that i'm like mm-hmm. god you're in the paranormal field and you haven't seen this movie you don't know what they did over there i mean it was it was groundbreaking in so many ways but it was it was oh absolutely well this is yeah. me- so, medical studies um, the where, say, and I, I was reading up on this recently, there's been actual medical studies. One of them was actually by accident. You know, there's all those uh, talk about um, near-death experiences, and, you know, you know, it's often been reported to be just, you know, your brain playing tricks. But there was a point where someone, they had a, they were recording his brain waves, um, and he ended up dying in the middle of this experiment not related to the experiment. He just happened to have like a heart attack in the middle of it. And they were recording his brain waves for about a half an hour while this was going on. And they received the most weirdest readings um, that hadn't ever been recorded before because medical science hadn't been looking into it. And it, you know, led them to believe that, you know, um, that there could be either this near-death experience having a scientific reading or for people who may have some sort of ability to project their energy, that it would explain what a wraith is. You know, and a wraith is typically what's used to describe um, a situation where at the point of death, someone is seen elsewhere um, as if they're trying to say their goodbyes. 
And um, I believe there is now some not so publicized research going into this because of that accidental find by one doctor. So I'm really interested to see uh, where that um, research leads if they actually find scientific proof in even the smallest amount that, you know, there is a probability of there being a wraith or near-death experience that's explainable with uh, scientific proof. Wow, that's a great find. Do you know what what hospital that was at, done at, or what medical facility? Unfortunately, no. It was something I read in passing um, recently, and I'll, I'd have to dig for it. And if I find it, I'll uh, send it to you. But unfortunately, no, I don't remember off the top of my head. But I know yeah, it is something that is now being it, looked into. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'll yeah. look for it. Thank you. So where do you go from here? I know we know what you want to do. You want to educate people with with what you've discovered, and it makes sense that you want to take it down that road. And what what else do you have planned? Do you want to get teach this in a, as a college course, or do you want to write a book about it? What, what do you have in your future? It's funny you mention that because about a year ago, I had just started my podcast and blog. You know, I honestly, I had retired from work. Um, I had been working full-time and never spent a lot of money, so I retired at the age of 41. So I had more time on my hands. So I started the blog and podcast. Um, I did eventually end up picking up a part-time job out of boredom. But I figured, you know, it would be a great opportunity for me to help start showing other people, you know, a different way of doing things. And then mm-hmm. I hadn't thought too much beyond that. I figured, you know, I had my little niche audience, you know, people who were interested, and I was going to leave it at that. But starting about a month ago, out of the blue, I started getting requests to do speaking on various shows. Um, you know, uh, Jerry Wills was one of them. He found me online somehow mm-hmm. and asked me to be on his show, and then he recommended me to you. And then there's within like a week and a half, I booked um, – I had six different requests to end up on shows. And I'm like, hey, this is a different opportunity for me to reach a wider audience with this. That's so fabulous. So eventually um, – you know, I'm in the very early stages of putting together presentations because I do have some local requests to do in-person presentations, um, like the local library, um, some of the local, uh, uh, like, uh, social groups have asked me to do um, presentations for them. But I think eventually where this is going to lead is I never want to make money off of this. I've always vowed that I'll never make money off of hobbies because then it's not a hobby anymore. It's a job. Mm-hmm. But I think at some point down the line, I'll probably put together a curriculum and put it up on the Internet um, for people to be able to get a more structured education. And I know some other people have tried this over the years, and they actually charge for it, and they call it a certification. And it's not a certification if you don't have the the, the authority to give said certification or recognize to, you know, as a and to right. see to give that certification. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think eventually I'll end up doing something online, like an online school where, you know, no certifications, no titles, nothing like that, just a way to help educate people. You know, I'm pretty sure at some point I'll probably end up traveling around giving presentations. You know, I'm hoping to fabulous. encourage others who have mm-hmm. levels of experience in scientific mm-hmm. knowledge like I do to join me and do the same thing. You know, not do it to make money, not do it to, you know, for any other reason other than to help the field. Because as soon as you start trying to monetize off of something like that, 
it automatically puts like a great great cloud around you and people will will, uh, view it differently. But if you take that money aspect out of it, um, it can uh, really help your reputation. So I think, you know, part of me has some goals of like writing a book someday, almost like a how-to book for paranormal mm-hmm. investigation, but who knows, like I had, I, I never had any intention of doing what I'm doing today, you know, speaking to you guys. And it's, uh, it's just something where, you know, the river kind of flowed to, you know, and for all I know, you know, maybe someday I'll get lucky and, you know, I do this long enough, maybe I can do an hour and a half long documentary for the Discovery Channel or something with some other people yeah. like me, you know, we can get a bunch of us together and actually do something educational that can be viewed by a wider audience. It would be nice if it went that yeah. way. It would be. It would be very nice. Now, let me ask you also, Eric, usually when somebody's sensitive, intuitive, or involved in this field in some way, uh, they've had some family that's also been interested in involved in it. Did you have any parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles who were involved in this or were intuitives or psychics? Not in the least bit, and that's the funny part. Like, I, I honestly, I've always, for all intents and purposes, kind of been the black sheep of the family, you know, um, <laughs> just always, you know, done my own thing. Now, I have a, a grandfather that was deceased, you know, long before I was ever even, you know, a, a glimmer in my parents' eyes, you know, long before, you know, when they were younger. Um, I had a grandfather who... Um, had repeated paranormal experiences with his mother, my great, would be my great grandmother. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's stories in the family about this haunted house, you know, which I'll never be able to get into. You know, this is going back 50 years. You know, this is long mm-hmm. before I was born, 50, 60 years ago. But no, in general, you know, I don't have anyone in my house that's intuitive, in my family that's intuitive or interested in the paranormal, to be honest. I think my dad's the only one that actually pays any attention to uh, what I do, and he he doesn't even understand it. But he just, you know, follows it just because I'm his son. But uh, there is literally no one in my family with any remote interest in the paranormal. They're all uh, sports people. All they care about is uh, who who gets, you know, the next touchdown. No kidding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's funny. So, yeah, so you're the one that stands out with this unique uh hobby as you're calling it so yeah that's wonderful well you've got to keep us posted on on what you're doing and how you're doing it i know our audience is going to want to follow you and see if you're going to be offering courses online and things that they could take mm-hmm. because it's helpful to have all of this background it's helpful to know especially about equipment and the infrasound that you talked about tonight so fascinating and Start ruling some things out before you go whole hog into, yeah, it's paranormal. So, yeah. One other question before we end tonight. I wanted to know, what kind of camera do you recommend to people to use if they're going to get involved in this kind of thing? Well, one thing you got to remember is with a lot of cameras, um, especially if they're cheaper, you're going to have, especially if they're digital, if anything, you're going to have a lot of different uh, photographic artifacts. There's backscatter, which is, you know, a perpetrator for a lot of the orbs. You have something called mm-hmm. blooming, um, that, you know, is, uh, that creates a lot of the ha- halos 
um, is parallax, which comes into play when you're doing uh, aerial photography. Um, there's pincushion distortion, there's halation, there's a bouquet, there's all these different types of um, photographic anomalies. So firstly, I, I would suggest that really going to get into photography that you learn about all of the various forms of distortions that can show up in photos so they're not getting misreported or misinterpreted as paranormal activity. You know, you see a lot of these photos that get put online and they say, oh, th this is Halo, it's an angel. I'm like, no, that's blooming. Oh, this is orb. No, that's clearly backscatter. No, that's clearly dark current. You know, that's... So um, I suggest people, you know, I actually did a blog and a uh, podcast about all of that recently where I covered the most well-known uh, photo distortions that get misinterpreted. But when it comes to cameras, um, it's important to, more than anything, not the camera you're using. Um, obviously, you want to put some money into something, but it's best not to use the zoom. It's best not to use any of the uh, special um, software enhancements, you want to take just raw photos. Um, you know, mm -hmm. before we had all these digital cameras, there wasn't such thing as all these orbs. A lot of these orbs are actually coming from an infrared focuser on these high-tech mm. cameras. Um, believe it or not, if you're getting into paranormal photography, if anything, I would suggest an old-style 35-millimeter camera because then you're not dealing really? with all the distortions that come that come with the digitizing. Um, mm -hmm. You have to take into account, you know, all these cameras now, they're not taking physical photos on a uh, exposed on film anymore. It's all digital. So you're dealing with software, software glitches and all the, all the compression, um, pixelization, underexposure, overexposure, and that happens with digital cameras. So if you're actually getting into paranormal photography, I'd say find a, an inexpensive 35-millimeter camera. Um, but that does get expensive with, um, you know, developing. So, you know, right. I more economically, that. Yeah. I'd recommend, you know, more economically, I'd recommend getting a nice digital camera that has, you know, a higher um, resolution, maybe at least 12 megapixels. But when you get the photos, you can't be trying to enhance it. You can't be trying to zoom in on it because that's what's going to cause all the, a lot of the artifacts that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to use, like, night vision on it unless you have a true infrared camera because, like I said, the infrared focuser is going to cause all kinds of artifacts. And um, yeah. you know the camera tries to fill uh, the cameras try to fill in a lot of the blanks. So while we have all these various camera technologies which are amazing for creating beautiful photos, they look too real because they're not real because of all the enhancements. So if you <laughs> really want to get into paranormal photography, nothing can beat an old 35 millimeter camera without using a flash because it's not susceptible to all the problems that come along with digital cameras. Right. Fascinating. Well, that's some really sound advice. Thank you. No, if anyone ever has any questions, you know, I'm more than happy to answer. You know, people can reach out to me, and I'm, uh, I love educating. You know, I'd rather people take now, the time how, to how, ask the question. How can people find you? What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Well, my uh, website is MWV Spirit. It stands for Mount Washington Valley Scientific Paranormal Investigation Research and Interpretation Team. So MWV Spirit is just an acronym. But um, we're also on Facebook, uh, Twitter, 
Um, I even do one-minute-long TikTok videos because I've found that there's an even audience on there. I do something called the Paranormal Minute where I cover a topic in, you know, in layman's terms briefly. But, you know, any social media, it's at MWV Spirit. Um, and like I said, the hub of it's all at the website, mwvspirit.com. But you can reach me through any of those methods. Oh, that's great. Ah, wonderful. Well, Eric, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful evening with you. And we're going to have to stay in touch and watch what happens next in this whole field of ghost hunting. No, yeah, I appreciate sure. you uh, allowing I appreciate you uh, taking the time to allow me to, you know, hit a different audience with uh, maybe a little information that they hadn't really uh, thought about before. Maybe it might open some yeah. people's minds a little bit and send them into a direction of, hey, maybe the science isn't so boring. Maybe it can be fun. <laughs> no, it's not at all. It's very interesting when, when you're talking about it. So thank you. Exactly. And, yeah, so thank you very much. So, everybody, we will be back next week with Corey Good. Don't forget to join us at the same time, 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, and 5.30 for Arizona, the smart state who doesn't move the time around. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You guys are the smart ones. Good luck, everybody. Thank goodness. (laughs) Right, exactly. So thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight, and until next week. We will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.